that's the not so mysterious cape. And that is the horrorholic Dominic. Yep. <laughs> and you're listening to Shit in Bricks. Bricks, 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 bricks. Bricks, bricks. This is a podcast for those of you who like to talk shit and get scared. Or in Aussie slang, shit and bricks. <laughs> I think that uh, if anybody is going to be here to talk shit, it is you and I. And if anyone's going to be here to shit, it's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> have you taken care of that? Yes, I have. I had my morning, okay. what's the word? Morning abolition. abolition? Yeah, bodily movement. Once you get to 35, any... Uh, any regularity of shitting is uh, something that you should be very proud of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I lost that when I was like 12. Okay. We'll get you some, uh, what's it called? Metamucil. Yeah. Coloxal. <laughs> Have you seen those stool softening ads? <laughs> Thanks to our uh, first ever sponsor, Coloxal and Metamucil. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh. <laughs> That's actually not a bad sponsor, seeing as this is about shitting. Actually, I think we should put that on the uh, agenda. We'll reach out to them after we've had a couple of episodes and send them photos of us on the toilet. 100%. I think that's a perfect match. Sounds good. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. This is our first ever episode, mini-sode, test episode. I don't know what we're going to call it, but it's a test. I, I like mini-sode. I don't mini-sode. know why. Yep, yeah. mini-sode. Maybe it could be, what's a what's a toilet humour joke around mini, yeah. like a turtle head episode? A little episode. alley? <laughs> a little yeah, alley. turtle head. <laughs> a prairie dog episode. <laughs> Just testing the waters and then back in we go. <laughs> yep, absolutely. The merch just does itself, doesn't it? <laughs> So in this episode, what we're doing is just trialing everything a little bit. And we're going to do a little episode each, aren't we, Kate? We are. But also, who knows how long it's really going to go for? Um, you know, the two of us in a room have been known to talk the wooden leg off a chair. Yeah, it could be a plastic if you're on Ikea. <laughs> so true. Shout out to Ikea. Next sponsor. <laughs> do they do like toilets or anything? Not that it all has to be toilet related. There is that Kath and Kim episode where what's her name? Kimmy oh. Kimmy shits in the in the IKEA toilet. So Yeah, that's true. For all of those non-Aussie listeners out there, you should please go watch Kath and Kim and you'll better understand not just that joke, but everything Kate and I are gonna say for the next fifty years of our <laughs> lives. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Alrighty, so who's who's up first this week? Uh, I think you have got a story that I want to hear. So if you would like to go first, that would be swell. Oh, ladies first. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get stuck into it. Uh, first up, I got a shout out to my sources, obviously the lovely Wikipedia. And then I first heard this story on a red-handed podcast, uh, episode 23. It's called The Girl in the Box. Okay. Which uh, sounds scary already. And there's also an All That's Interesting article by Cara Goldfarb. So just paying dues to the people that I stole all this great content off. Very nice. Because obviously we would expect the same if people are talking about 
being sponsored by Coloxal, then we would want a shout out about that. Metamucil mates. Woo! <laughs> Again, the, the merch just sells itself. <laughs> Trust we've already got the gays listening because of that. They, uh, they know bowel movements like no other. All righty, let's kick this off. All right, you ready, Kate? You got your. I'm ready. I don't, you got your safety buddy. You've got James Bond in the background there. He'll protect you. I do. You. I do indeed. He's my he's my protector. I'm strapped in. I've got my uh, you know my seatbelt on. I'm ready okay. to hear this story. Let's go. So this minisode, I wanted to share an oldie. Like it's an old story, but it's it's a goodie. But the, like I said, I, I've only heard this for the very first time recently from that red-handed podcast. And it's pretty well known, but regardless, it has like all the trademark things that scare the absolute shit out of me. It's that kind of broad daylight happens right in front of your face. It's all psychological. There's near miss escapes, sort of like a survival story, which, ugh, nothing gets my heart rate going. Absolutely. I feel as if the, the daylight stuff, because... When you think about these kinds of stories that I'm imagining this is where it's going, you think that what, that can't happen to me, that won't happen to me, and it's or it's daytime or I'm only scared at nighttime. But the stuff that just breaks those, you know, little doubts in your mind, that's when it starts to become real. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Yeah. Well, this has got it all, so buckle up. Um, a bit of a pre-warning, though. Uh, domestic and sexual abuse, especially, but not limited to, limited to women, is an epidemic in itself. This story can contains some pretty disturbing details. So please, if you are listening, look to your local support networks. There is absolutely help out there and within reach. Yep, Just absolutely. had to put that proviso. Okay, let's go. I've said that 10 times already, but let's go. Um, <laughs> I like it though. We, we're really going. Like it's just let's go. Every every little thing we're just we're going to go with. I like that. Let's, let's go. In the mid-70s in California, can you just imagine the corduroy from head to toe oh. and the Farrah Fawcett hair, which, by the way, Kate, you would look so sexy with Farrah Fawcett hair. <laughs> I think we both would. Oh, my God. Actually, can I even say that? You're kind of my cousin, which, I don't know, is an incest joke too early on in the piece. That's all right. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if there's, I feel like how, I mean, we're already what? We're, I mean, we're eight minutes into this podcast. That's fine. I think that's right. I think between the sort of five to ten minute is where you can throw the incest jokes. Um, I mean, I'm comfortable with that. Okay, so it's the mid-70s or late 70s in California, um, 1977 in fact, and Colleen Stan was a 20-year-old, typical, fun-loving, free-spirited young woman. She had planned to hitchhike from her home in Eugene, Oregon, to a friend's place in Northern California where she was heading to for a birthday party. All seems pretty straightforward, pretty typical in the 70s to be hitchhiking. Yeah. And out on the road, a seemingly innocent, nerdy-looking fella named Cameron Hooker and his family decided to pull over and offer her a ride. Now, Colleen stated that she was like a really experienced hitchhiker and she'd already allowed two rides to go past her before accepting the ride from Hooker. So it sounds like she kind of knew what she was doing or had some intuition on what to look out for. So... Maybe I'm not condoning hitchhiking or anything. I'm not judging people either, but 
she it sounds like she kind of had a bit of a vibe of what to what to watch out for yeah that's it she was being a, a little bit picky so maybe yeah. she sort of yeah had that had that idea of what she was looking for and she described him as sort of like a nerdy looking you know fella and he was you know he was had his wife and a child in the car so she says she reportedly felt really confident climbing into the blue van because Hooker's wife, Janice, and their baby were in the car as well. Kate, have you ever hitchhiked before? No, and it's not very, I mean, it's not common in Australia at all. But what I did find, I went over to New Zealand and it's very common there. I was staying in Queenstown and, uh, I mean, it's very sort of a small um, city. So it was very, uh, you know, seemed quite straightforward for a lot of tourists and hitchhikers and stuff to be around. So they would, that was the really the only time I've kind of seen it. How about you? Have you hitchhiked before? Oh, not sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't confirm or deny whether or not I have hitchhiked. <laughs> I'm still alive. So that's a good, that's a good start. That is very good. I think that really we should do an episode called How Is Dominic Still Alive? Because yeah. some of the stories that you've told me of your travelling escapades, <laughs> that might be a little special feature episode that we could do. Oh, God, um, the shit d- that but- Dom got up to. <laughs> I don't know or the shit want, that Dom um, has not got up to. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So here's really lovely Colleen. She's, she's decided to accept a ride from uh, Cameron Hooker and his family. She's feeling pretty confident. Um, she would later say, like, when they stopped at a gas station along the way, uh, Colleen kind of paused and she took the chance to go to the, the restroom. And she said, at that moment, a voice told me to run and jump out the window and never look back. Like her gut, she remembers it so vividly that a voice had told her to leave. She didn't know why, but just something in her gut told her to. But she said she kind of calmed her fears and then she just went back to the car. She didn't want to appear rude. You know, on paper there was nothing really suspicious um, to warrant her leaving. But she mm. just, she couldn't, she, it was so strong that she, you know, she mentions it constantly in interviews that something told her that she should get out of there as quickly as she could. But she didn't. And she went back to the car and she jumped in the back and she noticed On the bench seat where she was sitting, it wasn't there before, but there was a rather odd-looking wooden box just placed next to her seat. Um, It wasn't there before. And, you know, again, she didn't think too much of it. Like, it's just a wooden box. What? How how scary can that be? Um, Anyway, so not long after leaving and uh, once they were sort of alone in this isolated area, Hooker decided to pull off the highway because in his... Excuse me, his words, they needed to make a short stop um, and see, like, the sights or something, and Colleen didn't want to object again. You know, she didn't want to be rude. So she'd later recall that, that as the family got out of the car, she decided to stay behind and wait, just leave them to their time. And she watched as Janice and her baby walked off into the bush, and she remembers briefly losing sight of Cameron. So in an instant, he would actually push his way into the back seat of the car and put a knife to Colleen's throat. It just happened oh instantly. And that's when things kind of got really super creepy from there. Hooker then picks up that wooden box, which was placed next to her, and uh, it's a lockable box, so it opens up and he puts it on Colleen's head and <gasps> locks it. 
No. So yeah, this box was completely lockable. It was soundproof. She couldn't see, hear, or do anything. Um, and of course he's threatening her. So it was designed to prevent light, sound, fresh air, everything from entering. Oh my God. And that's the beginning of this seven year long captivity for Colleen, which was full of torture, rape, and abuse. Holy shit. In an instant. So I've, 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 I've kind of broken, well, not broken the cardinal rule of storytelling, but this is a short story, so I'm, I'm feeding you a bit more information more quickly than usual. But, yeah, seven long years. Oh, my God. I, I don't know this story. So for those people listening, I, don't, I like the idea that we're surprising each other with our little stories a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that sounds like the absolute worst nightmare. Even just the box on the head, like that in itself is enough to make me yeah. freak out. It's very unique, right? You know, I know there's lots of kidnapping stories out there, but this is something already, I think you can tell that this is something that has been planned in a way or is yeah. is beyond just a kidnapping or like a hostage sort of situation. This is someone that's built a purpose-made box to like sensory deprecate de- well, I don't even know the word but like deprivate yeah deprivate that's the one that's um, it yeah so god knows only what's going to happen to her next and it all just happened really really quickly so wow what's kind of a bit of backstory and, and then also what's going to happen over the next seven years um so before this Cameron had met Janice when she was like a really young impressionable girl from a really strict religious family um Obviously, he was like a really charming and manipulative man from the beginning as he convinced uh, Janice's family that he was like super respectable. Now, she Mm -hmm. was, I'm talking sort of middle-aged teenage years here. She was never allowed to talk to boys. She'd never dated before. Um, It was kind of evangelical kind of religious family here. So, um, but somehow he had convinced these parents to uh, uh, let Janice go out on a date. And on their first date, he managed to convince Janice to strip down naked, let him tie her to a tree and whip her. Okay. So I know that sounds like a huge jump, but uh, the the ladies in the Red Hand and podcast talked about how she had no reference point of what dating was, what any of this was. To her, she had been so repressed as a child that, and he was such a charming man that I I guess it's kind of hard to picture, but I think, yeah, he was able to convince her that this is normal. This is what part of dating is, or this is what the role of a woman is. Wow. I think Mm. that that's something as well when you start to realize, and I feel as if the more research that we've been doing, Dom, is people do weird shit. Human beings do weird things. There are people that are chemically imbalanced. There are people that are, you know, raised in traumatic childhoods and homes and they're surrounded by people who, you know, treat them a certain way. So that's their norm. You know, we are fortunate because we grew up in, you know, one of the greatest, most supportive family environments out there. But that's one of the things that's really kind of popped out to me is you think it can't happen and you don't know how someone could do that. But it happens. 
and yeah. it's it's mind blowing. I think it gives you an idea of what this what this guy Cameron was really like. Um, yeah. And this cycle of brainwashing and abuse towards Janice would continue for years and years to come. She would just, she herself would just learn to accept it. But it did get to a sort of a point where um, until they sort of agreed that he could go ahead and capture a slave, a sex slave, to take Janice's place. Um, Because up until then, Cameron had been using Janice to act out all of his sort of sexual bondage fantasies towards her. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Her survival sort of kicked in and she started to, I have no doubt, was in love with this man, but also for her own sort of survival, negotiated with him and, and convinced him to, to get somebody else or maybe he convinced her. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's already a horrible situation before even Colleen gets into the story. But um, that's, that's sort of a bit of backstory about Janice and Cameron. Um, but where Colleen comes into it, the rule was... For her to be this new sexual slave, um, there was to be no penetrative sex with Cameron's okay. new slave. So according to the agreement, but this would obviously later change. On her first night of the kidnapping, Colleen was strung up by her hands. She was physically attacked by Cameron. And then she was left blindfolded and suspended while the pair had sex below her. God. So it's just from zero to a hundred. It's just, yeah. I can't imagine you hitchhiking to your best friend's birthday and then boom, box on your head, strung up, abused, all of this. And we're only on day one. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, us picturing her Farrah Fawcett hairstyle, that box couldn't have been good Oh my goodness. for that hairstyle. The perm would not have lasted. She no. would have had hair in her face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless. Um, so after her kidnapping, Colleen stated that she was tortured and kept locked in a box for 23 hours a day until she was given a contract and forced to sign herself into slavery for life in January the following year. So almost a year following, she's forced to like sign this contract. Like, What the hell would this contract look like? Please tell me. <laughs> Did they get... Um... You know, like the the guy from the castle, Dennis DeNudo, to write it up. (laughs) You know, it's just the vibe. Uh, It's just, you know, assault. It's torture. It's just a vibe, man. (laughs) For those listeners out there not knowing what we're talking about, please also go watch not just Kath and Kim, but now go watch The Castle. Yes, please. Dennis DeNudo's an icon. Um. So not only did Cameron get uh, Colleen to sign this uh, contract, which he supposedly just ripped out of a BDSM magazine. It was kind of like a kinky little fun thing that, you know, sexual partners could play around with and role play. Uh, He ripped it out and he actually made it for real. Mm. But Cameron also led her to believe that she was being watched by this really large, powerful organisation called The Company. Mm. And this company would painfully torture her and harm her family if she ever tried to escape. Props for, like, the company. That's super creative, like. (laughs) It's almost like the only, you know, better name would be, like, the group. Yeah. Or, like. The Naughty Boys. (laughs) The Naughty Boys will get you. Oh, it's the ALP. Sorry, the the Liberal Party of Australia. Yeah. Oh, man, I wonder if um, she got texts from Craig Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a niche joke. No one except for anybody that lives in Melbourne right now would have any clue what we're talking about. Even some people that live in Melbourne wouldn't know, but 
I, I rate that joke. I thought that was good. I loved it. <laughs> He's texting me right now, actually. Yeah, exactly. I've just started a bit of witty banter. Like every time I find a, a you know, little meme or something, I'll just send it to him. Yep. He can have some memes. He can have plenty of rude fingers. <laughs> yes, he can. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, I digress. So he, that's the setup. Here's the scenario, right? She's been brainwashed over time to be a slave there's punishment if she tries to escape. And, you know, we're whipping through this story really quickly, but I'm just, I want to keep reminding everyone that this isn't something that happened in a couple of days. This is 23 hours a day locked in a box and just being fed these lies and, and these threats that if she tries to escape. So, yeah. um, so Colleen, she was subsequently became a slave, a full-blown slave, and her she was to be referred to as Kay, um, and she was forced to call Cameron Master, and she was not allowed to talk without permission at all. He started raping her with items at the house as to avoid his agreement with Janice. Oh, my God. But things, obviously, uh, they would escalate. Following this, the, the Hooker family moved to a mobile home in Red Bluff with Colleen, where she was, so they moved into like a like a trailer home sort of situation. So they had a lot less space. So mm. where do they keep her this whole time? Uh, they would keep her locked in a wooden box under the couple's waterbed in the bedroom. So Jesus, Cameron and Janice would be asleep above her every single night and she'd just have to crawl in voluntarily under this, in this uh, man-made box under the waterbed. Oh. <sighs> four years so i don't even like if there's a little bit of sort of you know noise uh in my environment when i go to sleep you know it's very particular and i don't know that a box under a waterbed would suit my needs yeah you've got janice and cameron farting through a waterbed throughout the night like (laughs) what would that even sound like and any slight movement it's just like (laughs) (laughs) No, there's nothing. That's actually something that um, <laughs> that I enjoy about this story. Naturally, the content that we are covering is horrific, but the thoughts of these sadistic, awful human beings trying to, you know, hop into a waterbed in a way that's scary or intimidating, you just can't do it. So in a sense, I enjoy that that breaks up that uh, horrendous nature of these humans is them... <laughs> trying to hop into a waterbed. All right, so Colleen said that her faith in God and belief in a chance of escape helped her survive. Her greatest fear was obviously the company, which, you know, Cameron would reinforce daily. Um, To avoid painful punishments, Colleen tried to comply with his commandments and to show off and feed his sort of power play obsession. You know, his ability to really control women, not tie her up, but psychologically control this woman. He would later relax his rules, allowing her to go out to a, go out for a jog or to work in the yard. Um, she'd care for the family's children in the mobile home. And she'd even, like, help him build bigger accommodations and extensions onto this mobile home. Um, okay. Like an underground dungeon for more slaves. So he, he clearly had planned to do more of this. Yeah. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. So even with an open door, neighbours and a telephone, she made absolutely no attempt to escape. As, like, according to Colleen, her fear of the company really kept her from seeking help. She really Mm -hmm. did believe that something terrible would happen to her family if she tried to leave. 
And I think that raises like a really good point about what Stockholm syndrome is. And, you know, we don't have time to go into medical definitions and everything of that. There's lots of great stories around Stockholm syndrome, but I think you would over time, I think I would just learn to accept. Well, yeah, look, it's, you know, what's that saying? The um, unstoppable force against an unmovable object. Mm -hmm. You just don't have an option. Like you just need to do whatever it would take to start to, you know, fit into whatever that life is, honestly. And I feel as though that's sort of something that, that we've spoken about planning this. What can your mind do? You know, what What would your mind do if put into these sorts of situations? And I think realistically that is what scares people. That's what scares me. Mm-hmm. That's what probably scares the majority of our listeners. Like that, what would you do if you were put in this situation and you can't comprehend it? No until you're put into that situation. So it's, yeah, it's frightening what the the human mind is capable of. And she's right there. She could, she technically could leave, but, you know, she doesn't, she can't. So most shockingly, Colleen, uh, she was even allowed to visit her family by herself in 1981. So this started in 1977. Four years later, she was allowed to go visit her family. And Cameron set this up. In fact, Cameron played the um, sort of like dutiful boyfriend that was trying to convince his girlfriend to who, you know, she's, she's ignored her family for four years. He's doing the right thing by sending her back home so they can see that she's okay. Oh, my God. So she had lived in terror for so long and was so convinced of this immediate danger to her family that she she didn't reveal her situation due to the what she thought the consequences would be. Mm. Her family thought she was involved in a cult because of her, like, homemade clothes and lack of money and absence of communication over the years. She was also really thin and sort of pale. But they didn't want to pressure her when she got there because they would just fear that she would leave forever or never contact them again. And it's really creepy. If you go into this story a bit more, there's photos of of them together and she's smiling and just pretending that this is all fine and normal. So she got to visit her family the first day on her own and then the next day um, she returned again for a second visit with Cameron posing as a boyfriend and um, at the trial the later trial Colleen explained that she was happy about visiting her family who were therefore able to take a photograph of her and they were yeah her and Cameron and they were like happily smiling together it's so eerie seeing that photo because you know what's what's going on what's going on and like you know they had to set up like a flash and a stand and like photos back then were not (laughs) on your phone babe (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing too you know when you really sort of think about the situation that these people are in to have to do that. Like, it's not just a matter of, it's not like a Hollywood movie where things just happen automatically and you just see the, you know, the shot happening. Yeah. You have to think about that practicality. Like think about the fact that this guy's built a box to go on this person's head. Think about the fact that he's in a waterbed. Think about the fact that he has to set up his, his tripod and get the roll of film and twist it onto the thing. And then, you know, do the test shots, get them developed. All right, almost done. Um, According to Colleen, Hooker feared he'd given his slave too much freedom after this visit and he'd, uh, like, he took her back to the mobile home where he locked her in the wooden box under his waterbed and she remained in that box again for 23 hours a day for the next three more years. 
Cameron's children, like Cameron and Janice's children, were told that Kay, because her, you know, her nickname was Kay, they just told these children. So remember, there's children around. What, what, did, what are the children thinking about all this? What the hell's Janice doing? Um, they would tell the children that Kay had gone home every day. However, once, once the children had gone to bed, Hooker would take Colleen back out of the box to feed her and just torture her more. Ugh. Yeah. She was reportedly not allowed to make any noise. She had to lie still for 23 hours at a time in the dark with little air to breathe. And during like summers, like summer conditions were especially were like really harsh on her. The temperature would in the box would get to well over 38 degrees. I just don't know. I don't like being alone with my thoughts for, <laughs> you know, five to 10 minutes a day uh, because they start to become a bit annoying. Imagine being alone with your thoughts for 23 hours in essentially a Bikram yoga studio. Yeah. <laughs> in a Bikram yoga studio with your own thoughts for 23 hours a day. Somebody fill up a bath and get me a toaster because I'm hopping in. I <laughs> don't want a bar of it. Sweating all that crap out. Oh, my God, that's so true. But you can't move. I can just imagine, like, not being able to the, – the not being able to move thing I think gets me the most. As long as I can move, I'm okay. I'm not too I'm not really claustrophobic, but not being able to move. Mm. I mean, yeah, and I mean my thoughts scare me as well. You do not want to be in my head for twenty three seconds, let alone let alone twenty three hours. <laughs> Same. Goodness me. All right. So it wasn't until nineteen eighty three that Colleen was reintroduced to like the children and the neighbours. Um at the house again, so she was allowed to go get a. Even, she was even allowed to go get a job as a maid at a hotel. Um, Far out. Yeah, Hooker really wanted Colleen to become like his second wife in a way, which was a bit of a turning point for our dear friend Janice. And I don't want to hate on Janice too much. I know she is complying with a lot of this, but it's why I gave that backstory. Like she was mm. almost as much a prisoner. Bless her. Yeah, in a way, but the fact that uh, Cameron was sort of upping the ante a little bit and wanting to, to increase his number of wives in a way. I think he would have wanted to have a harem if he really could. But um, yeah. this started to get to Janice. And by August 1984, she began really struggling with herself. And she herself went to Colleen and told her that uh, Cameron was not part of this company. She maintained that the organisation did exist, but that Cameron wasn't a part of it. And that fear, that threat wasn't real. Yeah. Um, and by this point, Colleen was shaken uh, and her brain sort of, that brainwashed reality really started to crumble. There was a, I think there was a crack in the, in the situation for her and she, she wondered what else wasn't true. Maybe she can escape. Those, those sort of thoughts started yeah. to creep in. And one day she, she decided to make the choice to finally leave. And it was, it was uneventful as simply just leaving the house, walking to a bus station. She actually phoned Cameron to inform him that she was leaving. His reaction, you would think, is to get, like, really angry and aggressive, but he just burst into tears and oh um, tried to plead with her to come home. And uh, obviously Colleen didn't. She just caught a bus home and she went straight to her family. Oh, oh it was just it's just so mind-boggling to me. And that's what, that's what gets me is it's just like the reactions, how seemingly normal it was for her just to sort of go, oh, I'm just going to leave today when she's been there for seven years. Like, holy shit. 
Yeah, I think you want to Hollywoodize it and think that she's going to make some glorious escape and it's like Escape from Alcatraz. And yeah. What's his, what's his name? Um, Sean Connery. Was Sean Connery in that one? Oh, not Escape from Alcatraz. He was in The Rock. The Rock. Which they didn't escape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's nothing like that. She's not crawling and uh, using teeth to make a pickaxe or I don't know, none of that she's, crap. She's also not with Nicolas Cage trying to defuse some weird nuclear slash chemical bomb device. Yeah. And she didn't, you know, switch faces with John Travolta in order to fool everyone. No. God, but wouldn't that have been an ending? Like yeah. that would have been something that, yeah. Yeah, none of that happened. And I think that that's why it really goes back to the element of... Either Stockholm or just, I think there was genuine a form of love or connection mm. or you know relationship between all three of these people, these adults. That his reaction is to cry, not to get angry, and yeah. that even you know in the months that followed, she didn't even contact the police straight away, she, and she continued to call Cameron regularly. She explained this at the trial by saying that she just she wanted to give Hooker and Janice's request to sort of a chance to reform. She wanted to give them a second chance. That's that psychological element here. They had completely brainwashed this woman to not only not leave, but not dob, dob them in. Not be a dibba-dobba. Wow. Amma. Amma. Dibba-dobbas wear chocolate nappies, did you know, Dom? <laughs> <laughs> It's always going to come back to shitting bricks, doesn't it? Yeah, that was a good one. That's almost like a little natural ending. Yeah. <laughs> Dibba-dubbers with chocolate nappies. Yeah, every story we tell has got to end up with some sort of telling on someone or shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not the case in this story. So um, as it turns out, three months later after Colleen had escaped, um, Janice actually reported her husband to the police. It wasn't Colleen. Okay. Um, she informed a Lieutenant Jerry. Love you, Lieutenant Jerry. Jerry D. LJ. Brown. Go LJ. Of the Red Bluff police um, that Cameron had kidnapped, tortured and murdered another woman named Marie Elizabeth Spanaki. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, S-P-A-N-N-H-A-K-E, Spanaki. And Marie, she had actually disappeared on January 31st, 1976. So that was the year before Colleen had been taken. And Colleen would later say that she found a semi-damaged, destroyed, burnt photo of Marie in the box um, that she was kept hidden in. So... Very scary that this wasn't even the first time that uh, Cameron and Janice had done this. Sadly, authorities were unable to locate the remains of Marie and due to the lack of physical proof, no murder charge was ever brought. So it's still a mystery. There's He's never been charged for what happened to Marie. But the damage was done and soon Colleen's story obviously came to light. So... This is where it all falls apart. Um, Chris Hatcher, uh, Terry Hatcher's brother. (laughs) (laughs) I loved her in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Great Bond girl, even though like 80% of her scenes were cut. Um, And 80% of her face is not real, but. (laughs) Sorry, Terry, we love you. We actually do love you. Sorry, Terry. Also, you know, we should mention we're sponsored by Terry Hatcher. So that's not very nice of us to um, throw her under the bus like that. Sorry, Terry. 
yeah, she she does great dresses and um, <laughs> necklaces and she has a curling iron because her hair in Tomorrow Never Dies is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I, I'll have Terry Hatcher hair and you can have Farrah Fawcett hair and then we're done. Deal. I actually want Jane Fonda hair. Is that an option? Sure. Fine. Okay. 70, 70 80-year-old Jane Fonda or? Any. I feel like her hair's been pretty similar since, you know, that Jane Fonda fitness record she released. I bet you if she has pubic hair, because she, she might not, but if she did, it would look amazing too. <laughs> Can you imagine it's got like the little flick on the yeah. end of it? Like, oh, love she it. She just pops her little underpants on. There's a cute little flick coming out the sides. <laughs> I should apologise to Jane Fonda as well. This is not, I'm not doing a very good first impression, am I? No, I love it. I love it. We've so far thrown Terry Hatcher under the bus. I don't think we threw Jane Fonda under the bus. I think that's just a genuine, that's like us saying she's stunning. She's 142 years old and she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure her pubic hair is too. I'd, I'd swap sides for any of them. Yeah, fair. So back to so Terry's brother, Chris. Yes. Chris Hatcher, a forensic psychologist and criminal profiler, testified for Cameron's prosecution at the state trial um, in 1985. And Janice actually testified against Cameron in exchange for full immunity. So in the end, Cameron was sentenced to consecutive prison terms, totaling 104 years for sexual assaults, kidnapping, and using a knife in the process. I don't want to weigh in too much on like the legal system in that country, but I feel like you, there's more that could have been said. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the sentence is, is is appropriate, you know. A sentence for the same amount of years as Jane Fonda's been alive. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, there is a statute of limitations for kidnapping, I believe, in the States. So right. it had been such, it had been over that period of time where um, Cameron's defence were actually arguing that it's over the, I think, three or four years for being ta- for being done for kidnapping that she was yeah. staying there on her own volition, so therefore he cannot be charged with kidnapping. Yeah. Which is fucked. Yeah, it's fucked. It doesn't... I mean, it makes sense to me, though, so in terms of a logical statute of limitations and the fact that she was staying there volunt- voluntarily... Uh, Wow, wow. So, yeah, very interesting. If you're at all interested, go read. There's, there are hours of um, written material that you could read on the actual trial itself. It was really, really interesting if, you're, yeah. you, know, if you find this topic um, and how it all works, go do it. But, um, yeah, he, got, he was obviously he was convicted, which is a massive yay. Um, he was originally ineligible for parole until 2023, not long. Um, he had his hearing date moved up seven years to 2015. On April 16, 2015, his request for parole was denied and Hooker will, will be eligible for another hearing in 2030. However, due to our good old friend COVID-19, California officials contacted Colleen and advised her that they were looking into possibly granting Hooker parole in March 2021, which is this year. Don't hold your breath because instead of a parole hearing, authorities scheduled a hearing in September 2021, which is like this month, to decide if Hooker should be classified as a sexually violent predator, which would result in his civil commitment to a state hospital. 
So as we speak, which is why I wanted to do this story, as we speak, Ooh. his decision, the decision is being considered. So let's hope wow. this this asshole never sees the light of day again because you know he would do it again. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. He's not okay in the head. But that, the fact that he could, you know, move onto a state-run facility is actually a really cute little ribbon and bow tie uh, into our next episode, which Ooh. is all about uh, state-run institutions. Uh, you know, they used to be called mental asylums, but that is our next story, which I'm going to tell. Um, so that worked out so well. Look at Look you. at us vibing off of each other so well. We're doing something that's current and now we're mm. connecting our stories. Like that's how good we are. And I think as well, like how current we are, we have mentioned Metamucil, Coloxal, Terry Hatcher, Jane Fonda, all very current now, young, hip topics of conversation mm-hmm. um, that are just really going to connect with that, you know, uh, Gen Z population, I think. Are you, which gen are you? Are you even a gen? I think I'm a millennial. Oh God. Trust us not to know what we are. I don't know. How do you, I mean, I did have avocado on toast for breakfast, so I think that just automatically makes me a millennial, doesn't it? I also can't afford a house. I don't. I'm, so, in, I'm in my mum's granny flat. <laughs> I live next door to my parents, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please sponsor us. (laughs) I'd kill for a blue apron right now. JG Holmes. Yes. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Well, Dominic, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with me and our listeners as well. Uh, as I said, that, that cuts us in neatly to our uh, next episode, which is going to be about, uh, yeah, insane asylums, mental asylums. Uh, again, what the physical, what the brain is capable of, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be a, you know, sort of common theme in some of our stories. But um, yeah, I want to thank you for telling your story. And I'm so excited for our next episode. So and, am I. Uh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for the the, the lovely shout out, Kate. I'm really he, really glad to hear your story, and I I do want to just reiterate to everybody. I know we're making fun of people and things and topics that would otherwise not normally be funny, but this is the way that we process and cope and share and grieve and improve all all through the the art form of comedy. So hopefully you're not offended. If you are, well. That's, that's our uh, sponsor's problem. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Metamucil. That's all right. There's plenty others out there that can. Uh, <laughs> we got a sponsor and we lost a sponsor all in one episode. So. Oh, my God. Jeez, if we keep that up, we're going to be on uh, to an absolute roll here. Big thanks to everyone for, you know, dialing in for our first ever test one. It's a bit messy, but we're going to find our flow eventually. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. I did it. I've got the first Pfizer jab. Did you go Pfizer or AZ? I'm an AZ boy. Um, oh, AZ boy. But yes, a little prick never hurt anybody, but a big prick does. <laughs> um, All right. Agree more. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Woo! See you guys. Woo!